0: Hi, I'm Dr. Judy and welcome to supercharged life where I help you discover new ways to create success wellness and fulfillment and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're going to be talking about attachment styles and this knowledge is the key to unlocking fulfilling and healthy relationships in your life. Everyone I know is talking about how this pandemic has impacted their relationships, whether it has brought you closer together or farther apart, the ways it's affected your dating life, whatever you're going through. We know that these challenging times we're in make our relationships more important than ever. So what can we do to ensure the best relationships possible in our lives? What's underneath the way we behave and how we relate to our partners? And why do we sometimes overreact or have certain insecurities that come up over and over again? You'll get answers to all that and more on this episode. Every romantic comedy movie you've seen is based on this hugely important idea in psychology. Interestingly, it is what creates engaging and relatable plot lines in TV and film because we can see ourselves or those we know in the eyes of the romantic leads. And we can actually learn a lot about our own attachment styles based on which characters in TV and film we're drawn to, feel empathy for, or become annoyed by. Because attachment theory is so important, I'm going to ask you to do something for yourself. Listen to today's podcast episode and try to identify what type of attachment style you are and what type of attachment style your partner or the people you normally date are. Knowing this can make all the difference in having successful relationships in your life. Attachment theory has a ton of research behind it, and it probably explains a great deal of why your close relationships have succeeded or failed in the manner that they did, why you're attracted to the people you're attracted to, and the nature of the relationship problems that come up again and again for you. In a few minutes, I'm gonna tell you what the four types are so you can figure out your type and then learn how to step up your game in all the relationships in your life. First, let me break down what attachment theory is and how it works. This is an area of psychology that describes the nature of emotional attachments and bonds between humans. This begins when we're just infants with our attachments to parents and primary caregivers. And the nature of this attachment, how well it's fostered and cared for throughout our childhood, will then influence the nature of our attachment to romantic partners later in our lives. Attachment theory began in the 1950s and since then has amassed a small mountain of research behind it. And two leading researchers, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, found that the nature in which infants get their needs met by their parents significantly contributes to their attachment strategy throughout their lives. This all came from a set of seminal studies called The Strange Situation. In this study, psychologists observed children playing for 21 minutes while caregivers and strangers enter and leave the room, recreating the flow of familiar and unfamiliar presence in most children's lives. The researchers then observed how the child responded to these people going and coming. And they found that the response styles of the infant as young as nine months to 18 months could be categorized into four types. And that as children got older, This predicted how they functioned in life and how they dealt with intimate relationships. So which attachment style are you? Why don't we start with talking about the first one, which is the secure attachment style. In the study, a child who's securely attached to their parents will explore and play freely while the caregiver is present and use him or her as a secure base from which to explore. The child will hang out with a stranger when the caregiver is present, and they'll usually be pretty upset when the caregiver leaves, but then when the caregiver returns, they're very happy to see them. In general, the child feels confident that the caregiver is around when they need them and will be responsive to their needs and their communications. Generally, these children grew up in supportive environments where parents were generally responsive to their needs. People who are securely attached as adults are generally comfortable with being open about themselves, asking for help, and allowing others to lean on them on an emotional level. They tend to have a pretty positive outlook on life, comfortable with closeness, and seek physical and emotional intimacy with minimal fear of being rejected or overwhelmed. People with secure attachment are comfortable displaying interest and affection in others, but they're also comfortable being alone and independent. They're able to correctly prioritize their relationships in their lives and tend to draw good and clear boundaries and stick to them. Secure attachment types obviously make for the best romantic partners, family members, and even friends. They're capable of accepting rejection and moving on despite the pain, but they can also be loyal and sacrificing when it's necessary. They have little issues, trusting people they're close to, and they're generally trustworthy themselves too. According to research, about 50% of the population are secure attachment types. Now, when I think about TV and film, there are actually very few examples of securely attached individuals because I think it doesn't make for good plot lines. But something that I thought about is the characters of Marshall and Lily from How I Met Your Mother. I felt like they were very much relationship goals <laughs> or Myra and Johnny from Schitt's Creek. This is one of my new favorite shows that I'm watching on Netflix. And despite all the chaos around them, and of course, they're flawed individuals, their attachment to each other seems to be pretty strong and secure. The second attachment style is anxious, preoccupied. And in the original research study, the infants that were classified as this type showed distress even before the caregiver left. Generally, they were clingy and difficult to comfort when the caregiver came back, and they also showed signs of helplessness and passivity. In terms of the parents of these children, they usually tend to not be very consistent with meeting their children's needs. Sometimes the parents were nurturing, caring, and attentive. Other times they might be rejecting cold or emotionally detached. And as a result, the child doesn't know what to expect. So they become adults who desire this connection in their relationships. sometimes to the point of appearing clingy. They tend to be really hyper aware of any slight changes in the relationship and read into them. And that increases the individual's anxiety and makes them do behaviors that feel like they're chasing or again, being clingy. As a result, this person tends to focus a lot of their energy on partnerships and increasing connection with that partner. And they also need more validation and external approval than the other attachment types As adults, this type is often nervous and stressed out about their relationships and need a lot of reassurance and affection from their partner. They might have trouble being alone or single and sometimes unfortunately succumb to unhealthy or even abusive relationships. And this is that person who calls you 36 times in one night wondering why you didn't call them back. Or this is the person who follows their partner to work to make sure that they're not flirting with any other people. And I think there are many good examples from film and television, because again, this is one of those attachment styles that makes for good plot lines, I guess, in a lot of these romantic comedies. And the first one that I thought of is the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And Kate Hudson's best friend, Michelle, who was portrayed by Catherine Hahn, great actress, she was this type exactly. She just gets all in with every relationship that she ever starts. And seven days later, she's saying she loves the guy. And so that is a good example of this type of attachment. The third type is dismissive avoidant. And in the original study, an infant with this type will avoid or ignore the caregiver. And they seem to show very little emotion when the caregiver departs or returns And in general, they just don't explore or engage very much, regardless of who is there, whether it's a stranger or their caregiver. At first, it felt like this was difficult to figure out. But later on, Mary Ainsworth theorized that They seem unruffled, but actually it's this mask that they put on for internal distress. And this hypothesis was later proven through studies of the heart rates of these types of infants. Dismissive avoidant infants, even though they appear to not be affected on the outset, when they look at their heart rate, it definitely gets raised when the caregiver is gone. So they have a reaction, but they're just trying to suppress it and not acknowledge it. And parents who are raising children with this avoidant attachment type tends to be parents that might rebuff children when they talk about their negative emotions. They might tell them to stop talking about it. They might be rejecting of whatever needs they have and tell them to do it themselves. And so to survive, children learn to pull away emotionally as a way to avoid feelings of rejection, which they've come to anticipate as adults, they become uncomfortable with emotional openness and might even deny themselves their need for intimate relationships. So in adulthood, this is the person who works 80 hours a week and gets annoyed when the people he dates wants to see them more than once a week. Or this is the person who dates dozens of people over the courses of a couple years, but tells all of them that she or he doesn't want anything serious and inevitably ends up ditching them when she or he gets tired of them. Avoidant attachment types are extremely independent, self-directed, and often uncomfortable with intimacy. They tend to be commitment phobes and they intellectually rationalize their way out of any intimate situation. Sometimes they complain about being suffocated or crowded when people get too close to them. And in every relationship, they always have an exit strategy. Oftentimes they build their lifestyle in such a way to avoid commitment or too much intimate contact hence why some workaholics are this particular attachment type. And they really place high value on their autonomy. And when people make demands on them emotionally, they tend to push them away, shut down. They may not say, I love you very easily, even though their behaviors might indicate that they really care. And these coping techniques end up becoming detrimental to having lasting and fulfilling adult relationships. Lots of examples of this in the media, Ryan Gosling's character in the movie Crazy Stupid Love, although at the end it appears he resolved this problem, or Richard Gere's character in Pretty Women. There are great examples of this type. And again, bringing back in How I Met Your Mother, one of my favorite TV shows, Barney is another typology of this particular attachment style. The last attachment style is Fearful Avoided. In the original study, They were coded as disorganized or disoriented attachment because these children showed fear and oftentimes contradictory behaviors that occur at the same time. They may at the same time be fearful, but clingy at other times. They might feel like they're being really cold, but then they get really mad. So they were kind of all over the place. And it was really difficult for Mary Ainsworth and her research friends to figure out exactly what was going on. Later on, they found out that the parents of these children tend to have some emotional difficulties themselves. And sometimes, sadly, these children were exposed to neglect or maybe some forms of emotional or physical or even sexual abuse. And because infants need to turn to their primary caregivers as a source of comfort and support. But when they become confronted with parents who are actually a source of their pain, that can be very difficult for them to deal with. And so they develop this sort of disorganized, fearful, avoidant type as a way to try to cope with all of the changing things that keep happening on a day-to-day basis. Their parent may be one day abusive or the next day, super loving. They just don't know how to cope with all of these changes, especially as young children. As adults, they grow up to fear intimacy, but they also fear not having close relationships in their lives. They seem to really recognize the value of relationships and have a strong desire for them, but they have a difficult time trusting other people. As a result, they avoid being emotionally open with others for fear of being hurt and rejected. In this particular type, is not only afraid of intimacy and commitment, but they also distrust others and lash out emotionally at people who try to get close to them. And then they'll chase them and ask them to come back. Anxious avoidant types sometimes spend a lot of time alone, even though they really want to be in a relationship, or sometimes they get involved in very dysfunctional relationships. And one character from film that I think is a good example of this is Christian Grey in Fifty Shades of Grey. If you guys watch that movie, at times he seems very loving and doting with his partner, but then other times he's being very possessive and telling her things that are extremely controlling and basically sometimes even emotionally abusing his partner. In my opinion, I felt like sometimes he was very, very harsh with her, but then the next day he'd turn around and just shower affection on her. And it can be very, very difficult for the partner of these individuals to make sense of their relationship. So those are the four attachment styles, guys. Which one are you? Be honest, think about it, jot it down if you have to, because we're about to get to your listener questions and we have so many good ones to get to. So let's start by going to Stephanie, my awesome producer and Jackson, my amazing sound engineer who are going to be helping out and talking about these questions and helping you to have better relationships in all the areas of your life. So let's get to it. Great. My head is spinning with all of
2: this. Um, So the first question is from Kimberly on Instagram. She said, I feel like I self-sabotage my relationships. Even when things are going really well, I start to be suspicious that my guy is losing interest in me or cheating on me. Ultimately, this leads to some snooping behaviors or me asking a lot of questions, which then really irritates the person I'm dating. It has definitely led to breakups before, and I don't want to push my
0: current guy away. How do I control my jealousy tendencies? Excellent question. And I think that it sounds like you have the anxious, preoccupied attachment style, and Unfortunately, sometimes this drives people away, which then reinforces that attachment style and makes you feel even more insecure in your next relationship. So it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and this behavior that can be deemed self-sabotage. So it's really important for Kimberly and anybody else who say, hey, I relate to this to take a beat before you do the thing that you generally want to do out of emotional reaction in dialectical behavior therapy, we have this technique called act as if, we also have this technique called act opposite of, and both of those techniques here are great. So act as if means that you take a beat and think, how would I act if I was somebody who was securely attached and then do that action instead or act opposite of, which is my emotional reaction is to pick up the phone and call him and ask him where he is, but I'm gonna take a step back And do the opposite thing. So, what would be the opposite of that? The opposite would just let him have his time, give it another hour or two, and maybe do something else to distract myself or to calm myself down. And for people who have this anxious style of attachment, it is very important that you learn self soothing techniques, that you learn to be comfortable with yourself, and that you learn to address your own emotional needs, because that's one of the key ingredients to building towards a secure attachment. Hope that helps, Kimberly. What's our next question, guys?
1: So the next question comes from Mark on Instagram. He says, I feel like I've spent most of my life being a workaholic. I do love dating and the beginning is always fun, but I have not had a long-term relationship in several years. Does this pattern come from attachment issues or am I just someone who prioritizes my work life?
0: Very good question, Mark. And I would say that it's great that you're asking this question in the first place. It does sound like you might have a bit of a dismissive avoidant attachment style. Obviously everything is on a spectrum and you have to ask yourself, Are you happy with the way things are? If you really feel like all of your emotional needs are being met, having these brief relationships and good for you, but if you feel like, no, there's something missing if I'm being honest with myself and it would be really nice to have a partner that I can count on more than a few days at a time, then perhaps you need to explore why you're doing this a bit more. Now, people with a dismissive avoidant attachment style do tend to love the chase because in a way they can kind of get their intimacy needs met, but it allows them to not have to commit so much of themselves and become emotionally vulnerable. Over time though, if people who have this particular attachment style are being honest with themselves, it does get old. So I think that if you know that there is a part of you that has this dismissive avoidant type, then it's important to do a few experiments. And what I mean by that is give somebody a little bit more of a chance. Give them an extra week or two. See how that feels for you. It doesn't have to all happen at one time. You don't all of a sudden have to go from having week-long relationships to all of a sudden committing to somebody for five years. But it's really about stretching your zone of discomfort. So giving yourself a little bit more room to experiment and explore. Take your time when you're dating, maybe instead of talking every single day and seeing them five times in the first week and then by the second week you're sick of them and you ditch them maybe stretch that out a bit more maybe talk to them only once every couple of days and only see them once or twice to begin with and just see how that feels stretch out the time frame in which you're engaging with one person and see how it looks on you. You might actually find that doing it gradually will feel less invasive to you and give you a better sense of who's a good partner and who's not.
2: Great. Okay. The next question is from Karen um, from Twitter. I struggle with shaky self-esteem a lot. It kind of changes from day to day depending on what's happening and how people treat me. Is this something that stems from insecure attachment and how can I boost my self-esteem so that it isn't wavering from day to day?
0: Great question. Karen, I think that a lot of people who have shaky self-esteem do have insecure types of attachment. And a person who is securely attached tends to have their source of self-esteem come from themselves, meaning that the self-esteem and the self-concept comes generally internally so that even if the people around them are behaving badly or they're having a bad day, they still feel pretty good about themselves. Individuals who have insecure attachment, they tend to be looking outwards for validation a lot more. So when somebody doesn't treat you right one day, snaps at you, or you get criticized for a tiny little mistake that you made at work, you all of a sudden feel like you're in the pits. And that's really stressful because every day you could be feeling so many different things about who you are and and also your level of confidence in being able to enact positive outcomes in your life. So, one of the ways in which you can work on your self-esteem is to really take the time to start to turn your attention to internal sources of self-confidence. Some of that comes from being okay with being alone. And I don't mean being alone if you're with a partner. I mean, just being okay with alone time, doing more things independently, and also doing self-esteem boosting exercises. There is an exercise that I love teaching because it's easy and it takes two minutes to do, and it's called the five fingers self-esteem exercise. And basically you just raise your hand and you touch your thumb and you tell yourself one positive personality trait of yours that you like about yourself. You touch your second finger and you say something about a gratitude that you have for the last day. You touch your middle finger and you say something about how you've been able to help someone even in a small way in the last 24 hours. You touch your fourth finger and you think about a pleasant memory in which you felt confident. And then you touch your pinky finger and you tell yourself a goal that you like to reach for the day. And just by doing this exercise, and you can do this either by touching your fingers or maybe even writing those five things down in a journal, can really help to solidify your self-esteem from the inside out. And the more that you work on these types of self-esteem building practices, the more you don't rely on external sources to validate you.
1: Great. As you mentioned earlier with Mark's question, people often have the thrill of seeking a partner. I feel like Caleb from Instagram fits into this. They ask, is there something wrong with me if my M.O. is the thrill of chasing a potential partner? I notice that when things settle down, I get bored and question whether if I really want to be with this person. But when we get into arguments or if they look like they lose interest, I go all out to try to win them back.
0: Caleb, what a great question. And I think that this is actually an example of that fearful avoidant attachment style where, unfortunately, maybe because of some childhood experiences, you've been accustomed to chaos. And you sort of seek chaos, even if it's unintentional. So a lot of times people who have this fearful avoidant type, as mentioned, they actually do have strong relationship needs, but they are mistrusting of people. And when things are going well, they wonder why it's going well. There must be something to it. There must be a trick and they don't want to fall for that trick. They don't want to be embarrassed or rejected. And so a lot of times these individuals will have the pattern that you're describing where they chase and chase and chase, and then they get the person, things kind of settle in, they're having a stable relationship, and then they do something to mess it up. They might start an argument for no reason, break up with the person. And then when the person starts to lose interest, they go all out and chase them back again. And so I think sometimes it really involves taking a step back and maybe taking a little break from having relationships, especially if the last few relationships like this have not gone well for you and really assessing what you're willing to give up levels of discomfort, feelings of stress that you're willing to give up to have a healthier relationship. It takes commitment and it takes being okay with being uncomfortable and stepping out of your comfort zone Sometimes people might even want to engage the help of a professional to help them work through something like this if it's deeper. But I do think that sometimes it's nice to take a little break and really assess what you're wanting from a partner. And then thinking about what you're willing to sacrifice or work on, because when you're working on yourself, it is not a walk in the park. It is uncomfortable. It sucks for a while, but then things get a lot better. So Good luck, Caleb. And just the fact that you're asking this question makes me think that you're totally up for improving your relationships. And I think that you're going to do well.
2: What's the next question, Stephanie? Okay, the next question is from Elizabeth from Instagram. I think I have a secure attachment style, but my boyfriend is anxiously attached. He has really poor relationships with his parents and I can tell it continues to stress him out. Can our relationship thrive? I spend a lot of time reassuring him that we are doing great. But it doesn't seem like it's helping. Yeah, that sounds like it would be exhausting for her to be constantly <laughs>
0: reassuring him. Totally. Yes. And of course, people with insecure attachment styles can sometimes feel like they become exhausting partners over time because no matter how much validation their partner gives them, it doesn't seem to work. And here's the thing, Elizabeth I know that you're someone who's securely attached. And maybe in the beginning, especially you didn't really mind reassuring them, but even for a securely attached person, this does get old because remember securely attached people also have good boundaries. So after a while they're thinking, you know what, this is pushing on my boundaries a bit too much. And this relationship isn't working for me. And here's the issue. When you actually overly reassure somebody who has an insecure attachment, it actually ends up, hurting them. And here's why. When you overly reassure them, you cause them to rely on this external validation even more. In some ways, it's almost like reassuring their bad behavior. What we need to spend time doing is actually helping them to develop an internal source of self-confidence, not just about the relationship, but about other things in life as well, to learn how to self-soothe, which we talked about, and also to learn to be okay with being alone. Now that sounds like a tall order, but as a person who is securely attached, as long as you're directly communicating what you're doing then there is a chance for your relationship. So you can start out by saying, hey, I feel like even though I give you so much validation, it's not really working. So maybe we can try something else instead. I know that oftentimes you really want us to have a chat during lunch, but it's a little bit hard for me because I'm kind of in between meetings for work. So how about instead of having that lunchtime chat, you know, where basically your boyfriend is checking in with you to make sure you still love them, how about we have a little bit of time when we're both done with work in the afternoon and we do something just for us and start to basically set up the boundaries for how much you actually provide that reinforcement and set up perhaps even time frames during the day in which you'll be giving them this un divided attention that they need, but also spacing it out a bit more. I really do think that it's important to be directly communicative with your partner and letting them know I love you, I love you the same at 5 PM as I do at 12 noon, but this is going to help me out a lot. Plus then I get done with work earlier and then we can spend our quality time. So that's just one small tip. There are a lot of other ones, but just remember that actually the over reassurance might actually be making their dependency needs stronger. So it's really about them turning their attention to themselves to be able to self-regulate during these anxious times. It's so interesting.
2: I just wanted to follow up on one thing that you said about boundaries. I feel like boundaries is a big part of how these attachment styles like manifest. So you have anything else to say about boundaries, like secure attached, securely attached people clearly have better boundaries and they're better able to maintain. But I'm wondering about some of the other attachment styles.
0: It's such a good question, Stephanie, because I think that boundaries sometimes feel like you're shutting people out, but no boundaries are loving and they actually give you a template for a really healthy relationship. Another great boundary to have is to make sure you protect your alone time. A lot of times there are partners, especially partners who are both maybe insecure that they want to spend 24 seven together, but that actually doesn't generally make for a good relationship. And you might actually be nurturing each other's neuroses, um, as opposed to becoming these well individuals who come into the relationship as whole people. And so one other really important boundary is just making sure that every day there's some time set aside for yourselves. Not only does that, provide more interesting fodder when you actually get back with your partner, you have more things to talk about. But also it assures you that you are still your own person. So you have your own identity, your individual identity, you have your identity with your partner, kind of a joint identity, and that there's this line between the two. And I think that that's a really important tip for everybody, no matter what your attachment style is, is to train yourself to protect your alone time, because that's when you really learn more about yourself. And that's also a time in which you can do things without feeling like you have to be responsible for somebody else's happiness. And that is so important in all healthy relationships.
1: Perfect. I love the advice from that. And I feel like that's goes very much into Barbara's question from Twitter. She says, as a parent, how can I make sure to raise my child with a secure attachment style? And I love that because not only is she looking out for herself, but also her child and wanting to raise them as best she can.
0: You're so right, Jackson. That's such a sweet comment. And actually, the fact that you are Making this an issue for yourself, Barbara, means that you're probably somebody who's generally securely attached already because you're thinking about how can I nurture somebody else, right? And that's a lovely thing to do as a parent is thinking about how you can raise securely attached children. And I think the most important thing is that in general, as a parent, being a A good parent that addresses needs but doesn't go overboard is really about having good boundaries as well, but also about setting up some ground rules about how you will be giving your child the love and support that they need. It's really about having a balance of addressing their needs, but also not being afraid to let them make some mistakes to maybe fall down and then come back and seek that support from you. So instead of being that helicopter parent who's doing everything for your child, you're actually letting them explore a bit, letting them say, well, maybe I want to do this, but I'm not sure yet. And you saying as a parent, well, why don't you try it? And then you can let me know if you like this activity or not, if you want to add it to your extracurriculars. So really encouraging them to explore independently, but always letting them know that you're there and that you love them and care about them, even when they make mistakes and that when they do make a mistake and need you, that you'll be there to help them to get back on their feet. That also doesn't mean though, that you wouldn't set up some rules that perhaps there are certain things that are just big no-nos that you can't accept as a parent. And once they break those types of rules, for example, let's say it's drug use, you don't just then pour all this love on them and allow them to do it again. You say, you know what? That was a hard rule for me. You knew that. So that means that certain privileges are going to get taken away for a couple of weeks until we figure this out and why you're doing it. But I think it's really about having that open line of communication, setting up the rules in a clear way, and also letting them know, even when you enforce the rules that you still love them, you love them. You don't love their mistake, but everybody makes mistakes and you can help them to get better and learn from that mistake. So it's really about having this flexible parenting that has good boundaries, sets up good rules, but also shows. Shows your child an example of unconditional love. Okay. That was an awesome question. What's our next one? This next question is from Sarah from Instagram. I find that I'm always
2: chasing after men who aren't really available or don't treat me well. I make myself crazy. I feel like I have a lot of friends who do this as well. And it makes me crazy watching them. Um, Sarah asked, does this relate to my attachment style?
0: Yes, Sarah, it does. And also your story is what we see all the time in TV and film, because sadly, I feel like TV and film really emphasize this insecure attachment type because it makes for good plot lines. So Sarah, this is the crazy thing about people who tend to be insecurely attached. They tend to chase after partners who are avoidantly attached. Basically, they kind of seek somebody who almost is their polar opposite, and then they end up wounding themselves over and over again because they basically then end up proving to themselves that they are unlovable or people will never meet my needs, and then they take that narrative into the next relationship. And I think sometimes we see this, and in psychology, we sometimes call it traumatic reenactment, where we basically try to live out a particular narrative over and over again, hoping that one day we're actually going to get a different answer. We're going to get somebody who is avoidantly attached, but ends up being able to overnight because they love you become that securely attached partner. And then that way it's going to make you feel better about yourself. But remember that source of validation is still coming Externally, And it's only external to one person. So even if somebody does change their avoidant attachment style and become very securely loving to you, which of course does happen from time to time, it doesn't actually solve your inner problem of having this insecure attachment. And by the way, I do not think TV shows and film helps. Because this is the classic narrative, right guys? It's like one person who's a bit more insecurely attached and the one person who's more avoidantly attached. And then at the end they kiss and make up and you're supposed to believe that they live happily ever after. And I think Sarah, that's why you're probably chasing after men who aren't available because you're thinking if they're acting so unavailable and if they say they don't want long-term relationships and that they don't fall in love, but they fall in love with me, guess what? That means I'm amazing and special, but you need to start to feel like you're amazing and special without that external influence. I know that that's hard to do, but try to get it from friends first, family members, people who might be able to give that to you in a more stable way and use that to supercharge your own self-esteem and find better partners in the future.
1: Great. And I love this next question. It shows that they're probably standing up to their own issues and seeking to better themselves. John from Instagram asks, my parents were pretty dismissive of me when I was little. They weren't really around and I didn't feel truly cared for often. And they were in their own world. Will it help to confront them? Am I destined for a life of bad relationships?
0: John, you are definitely not destined for a life of bad relationships. There has been so much research, one recent article actually, that there is a huge ability to repair and change your attachment style No matter when you developed it and how long you've been holding on to it. And I do think that one step of that empowerment and changing the attachment style is letting your parents know how they've hurt you. And it doesn't mean that you're going to get the answer that you want. Remember, if your parents were dismissive, then they might still be dismissive now. So remember to really temper your own expectations of what might happen from that conversation. You have to have it for you. You have to have it because you want it for your own empowerment and for you to clear the air and practice assertive communication, but don't expect them to all of a sudden become the secure attached parents that you were hoping they would be. However, acknowledging that and talking to them about that could lead to some really positive outcomes in your relationships. I have helped patients do this and It has changed their relationships with their parents for the better. Sometimes their parents don't realize that they were doing it or they tell you something that you didn't know about them. One of my patients actually just recently confronted his mother and his mother said, I didn't tell you this, but I was battling the worst depression when you were two years old to the time that you were six. And I tried to hide it from you and I tried to hide in my room because I didn't want you to see me sad. And then he realized that he felt like she was dismissive because she was trying to protect him from seeing her sad and depressed all the time. It wasn't because she didn't love him. She was doing it out of her love for him, but it was just misdirected. And it actually helped to heal their relationship a lot. So sometimes you might get an outcome like that. I also think that it's helpful to rewrite your narrative. And sometimes we do these visualization exercises, which have been shown in research to work very well, where basically you try to imagine yourself as a child And not being able to get the type of secure parents that you of course wanted, but imagining your older self going back to give your younger self a hug. This visualization is so powerful because it's really about reinforcing that idea that you can meet your own needs and you can do that now when you're an adult, when you're a child, you're more helpless. And that's why these attachment styles follow us for the rest of our lives. But as an adult, you do have a lot more control over your environment, a lot more control over your own self-protection and how to work on your self-esteem. So that's just a simple visualization exercise to get you started, but thank you for the great question, John. So I really loved answering all of these questions today. I thought that they were so thoughtful and insightful, and it shows that people really think about attachment a lot. And of course, we all want to improve our relationship. So... Now I'm going to share my supercharged secret of the day, which is how to improve your attachment style. Even if you're securely attached, there's still little things that you can do to make sure you stay securely attached and that you continue to foster great relationships in your life. And if you have an insecure, a fearful or an avoidant attachment style, then these tips are really going to work for you as well. So the first tip is to look at your patterns. If you've been listening to this episode, we've talked about the four attachment styles. You've listened to my answers to listener questions, and I'm sure you have an idea of what attachment style you might be and maybe the one of your partners. So this is an important step recognizing what your attachment style is and reflecting on your past and revisiting your relationship decisions from time to time is also important. We all learn from mistakes. None of us are perfect and that's okay. But when we reflect honestly on our decisions and relationships, it helps us to heal our own wounds. And it helps us to think more about what we want in the future. What is a healthy relationship to us? And the clearer that template is, the better it is for you. The second tip is to not look for someone to complete you. Oh my gosh, Jerry Maguire really did people a great disservice with that line, you complete me. Uh, That just really irritates me because it is so important for healthy attachment to learn to self-regulate and self-soothe. It doesn't mean that you don't rely on other people sometimes, but it's just that you're not banking on other people to meet your emotional needs all the time. So learn ways to calm yourself down, learn ways to self-regulate when you're stressed. And I generally love the idea of taking yourself out on a date. I've told my patients to do this where you just take yourself out for dinner or you take yourself out to a coffee shop. And the kicker is you're not going to spend time scrolling on your phone because you're afraid of what it might look like to other people that you're sitting alone. No, you enjoy your meal mindfully or enjoy your coffee. mindfully. you people watch. Sometimes you make friends. The last time I did this, I started talking to the couple sitting next to me. And actually we just ended up talking the entire dinner, even though I've showed up at the dinner myself. And so sometimes you make great friends and you learn more about the people around you. And it just helps you to solidify this idea that you can do things by yourself and it's no problem. The third tip is to do intimacy building exercises and try things that are out of your comfort zone. Wherever your attachment style is, do something that feels slightly uncomfortable to stretch it towards a healthier dimension. If you're an avoidant type, perhaps what stretches your discomfort is really allowing somebody to hang out in your life a bit longer as i mentioned earlier letting them go on a third or a fourth or a fifth date with you if you're somebody who is more insecurely attached the next time that you want to rapid dial your boyfriend or girlfriend put that phone down and do something else instead that you know brings you joy and happiness or maybe connect with a friend instead of looking to your boyfriend or girlfriend to meet all of your needs the fourth tip is don't react emotionally and take a beat attachment styles are very much rooted in our emotional reactions. And sometimes we do something, then we regret it. So take a deep breath and think about a more healthy way to approach the situation. When you're upset, your attachment styles will come out very easily because it's your first defense mechanism. So if you have an insecure, an avoidant, or a fearful attachment style, you'll find a need to either get that excessive reassurance, or you'll find a need to distance yourself really quickly, or maybe to lash out at the person. So just take a breath. In fact, take 10 deep breaths because that will really reset that fight or flight that gets triggered when you feel hurt. And then ask yourself, what is a healthier way to approach this and go from there. Sometimes it just takes 10 seconds. If you just take that beat and you will make a much better decision that will help to drive your relationships in a more healthy way. Finally, create secure relationships in all the areas of your life. It might be scary to think about changing your attachment style with an intimate partner, but start with having secure relationships in the other areas of your life, with colleagues, with family members, and with friends. Seek out people who seem to be securely attached so that you have a template on how to look for and identify And get healthy relationships when it comes to your romantic partnerships. Oftentimes I find that people, as they start to learn what secure attachment is in their friends and their family members and in colleagues, they have a better barometer of knowing what they want from their romantic relationships as well, and also how to get it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of supercharged life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho and remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends and take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. If you have a question you want answered on this podcast, send me a message on Instagram and I will try as best as I can to get to them in the next few weeks. If you want to ask a question anonymously, I will also put a link underneath the show notes where you can go and submit a question anonymously so that I can answer your question. If you don't want your identity on social media to be revealed, I'm Dr. Judy. And remember anytime is a great time to supercharge your life. The supercharged life with Dr. Judy podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, psychological, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, psychology, or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional.